Okay, now I said something a bit different. So I'm going to ask the children if you'd like to come out and sit on the mat. Because this morning I'm going to tell you a story. Now you, want, you might want to look at the screen, towards the screen. For those of you who can read, you'll be able to read some of these things. Um, but I'll tell you. And then I need your help as well in a little while. Okay? So, many years ago, there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on being well-dressed. I know some people like that. He cared nothing about reviewing his soldiers or going to the theatre or going for a ride in his carriage, except just to show off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day. And instead of saying, as one might, about any other ruler, the kings in council, here they always said, the emperor's in his dressing room. In the great city where he lived, life was always gay. That word used to mean something different. Every day, many strangers came to town, and among them, one day came two swindlers. They let it be known that they were weavers. And they said that they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but the clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or who was unusually stupid. Those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire were, empire were unfit for their posts, and I could tell the wise men from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of the stuff woven for me right away. So he paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing on the looms. All the finest silk and the purest gold thread which they demanded went straight into their travelling bags. And while they worked empty looms far into the night. I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought. But he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that those who were unfit for their position would not be able to see the fabric. It couldn't have been that he doubted himself, yet he thought he'd rather send someone else to see how things were going. The whole town knew about the cloth's peculiar power and all were impatient to find out how stupid their neighbours were. I'll send my honest old minister to the weavers, the emperor decided. He'll be the best one to tell me how the material looks. For he's a sensible man and no one does his duty better. So the honest old minister went to the room where the two swindlers sat working away at their empty looms. Heaven help me. He thought as his eyes flew wide open, I can't see anything at all. But he did not say so. Both the swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near and approve the excellent pattern and the beautiful colours. They pointed to the empty looms and the poor old minister stared as hard as he, hard as he dared. But he couldn't see anything because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd have never guessed it, and not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be the minister? It would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. Don't hesitate to tell us what you think of it, said one of the weavers. 
Uh, oh, it's beautiful. It's enchanting. The old minister peered through his spectacles. Such a pattern. What colours? I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. Uh, we're pleased to hear that, the swindler said. They proceeded to name all the colours and to explain the intricate pattern, and the old minister paid the closest attention so that he could tell it all to the emperor. And so he did. The swindlers at once asked for more money, more silk and gold thread to get on with the weaving, but it all went into their pockets. Not a thread went onto the looms, though they worked at their weaving as hard as ever. The emperor presently sent another, sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed and how soon it would be ready. The same thing happened to him that happened to the minister. He looked and he looked, but there was nothing to see in the looms and he couldn't see anything. It's a beautiful piece of goods. Sorry, sorry. Isn't it a beautiful piece of goods? The swindler asked him as they displayed and described their imaginary pattern. Uh, I know I'm not stupid, the man thought, so it must be that I'm unworthy of my good office. That's strange. I mustn't let anyone find out, though. So he praised the material he did not see. He declared it was de- he was delighted with the beautiful colours and the exquisite pattern. To the emperor, he said, uh, it helped me spellbound. All the town was talking about this splendid cloth, and the emperor wanted to see it for himself while it was still in the looms. Attended by a band of chosen men, among whom were his two old trusted officials, the ones who had been to the weavers, he set out to see the two swindlers, and he found them weaving with might and main, but without a thread in their looms. Magnificent! said the two officials already duped. Just look, your majesty, what colours, what a design! They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the others could see the stuff. What's this? the emperor thought. I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I a fool? Am I unfit to be the emperor? What a thing to happen to me of all people. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. It has my highest approval. And he nodded approbation at the empty loon. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. His whole retinue stared stared and stared, and one saw no more than another, but they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, Oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear clothes made of this wonderful cloth, especially for the great procession he was soon to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed, were bandied from mouth to mouth, and everyone did his best to seem well pleased. The emperor gave each of the swindlers a cross to wear in his buttonhole, and the title of Sir Weaver. Before the procession, the swindlers sat up all night and um, burned more than six candles to show how busy they were finishing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take the clothes off the loom, and they made cuts in the air with huge scissors. And at last they said, Now the emperor's new clothes are ready for him. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest nobleman. And the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. They said, these are the trousers, here's the coat, this is the mantle, naming each garment. All of them are as lithe as a spider's web. One would almost think that he had nothing on. But that's what makes it so fine. Exactly, all the noblemen agreed, though they could see nothing, for there was nothing to see. If your imperial majesty will condescend to take... Your clothes off, said the swindlers. We will help you on with your new ones here, in front of the long mirror. So the emperor undressed, and the swindlers pretended to put his new clothes on him, one garment after another. 
They took around the waist and seemed to be fasting something. That was his train as the emperor turned round and round before the looking glass. How well your majesty's new clothes look. Aren't they becoming? He heard on all sides. That pattern, so perfect, those colours, so suitable, it's a magnificent outfit. Then the minister of public possessions announced, your majesty's canopy is waiting outside. Well, I'm supposed to be ready, the emperor said, and turned again for one last look in the mirror. It's a remarkable fit, isn't it? He seems to regard his costume with the greatest interest. The noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached to the floor as if they were picking up his mantle. Then they pretended to lift and hold it high. They didn't dare admit they had nothing to hold. So off went the emperor in procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the window said, Oh, how fine are the emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection? And see his long train. Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything, for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. No costume the emperor had ever worn uh, before was ever such a complete success. But he hasn't got anything on, a little child said. Did you hear such innocent prattle, said his father. And one person whispered to another what the child had said. He hasn't anything on. A child says he hasn't anything on. But he hasn't got anything on. The whole town cried at last. The emperor shivered. He suspected that they were right. But he thought, this procession has got to go on. So he walked the more proudly than ever. And his noblemen held high the train that wasn't there at all. Now that's an old story. But you know, the same things happen today. The same things happen because people still believe things that they know aren't true. And they pretend it's true because otherwise other people might think they're stupid. Now, we've got two books in this world, two very famous books. One of them was written by a man called Charles Darwin. Okay? Charles Darwin said that he thought that everything came from one little thing to start with and it gradually changed into something else and then something else and something else. Okay? No evidence for it. Just like the king's new clothes. But the show's got to go on. Everybody's got to believe it. Because if you don't believe it, people say you're stupid. So nobody wants to be stupid, so everybody believes it. The other book is the Bible. The Bible says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and everything that's in them. Okay? So really, what Mr. Darwin said was that nothing made everything. Okay? What the Bible said is that God made everything. And we have to think about that and choose. So what we're going to do this morning is some experiments. Okay, and I'm going to need your help. We're going to try and prove which one of these books is right. Okay, now to be a scientist, not only do you need to be very clever, but you need to wear a white coat. So you have to imagine wearing a white coat. So like the coat we were just talking about, you can imagine wearing a white coat because that makes you a scientist. Okay, so the first experiment we're going to do, again, either in the beginning God or in the beginning nothing. Okay, so who's going to help me to start with? I need a volunteer. I have Daniel. Okay, can nothing become everything? This is what we're going to try and prove. Daniel, you come here. Right, in that bag, there's nothing. Could you take it out for me? Take it out? You got it? Take it out? You got it? Right. Right. Hold it. Hold your hands. Don't drop it! 
Now we've got to find it. It's very difficult to find nothing. Um, fortunately, I've got another bag. We're okay. I was planning on this. Okay, so, okay, if you take nothing out, again, okay, got it? Sure you got it? Okay. Now, I want you to see how long it takes for that to become something. Okay, we just wait. Um, can you, could you make it happen quicker? <laughs> um, we've got a problem. What, what do you think is going to happen with nothing in your hand? Educated guess, go on. I don't think anything's going to happen. I don't think anything's going to happen. Okay, take it with you. Take it with you. You go and sit down. Don't lose it, because if you lose it, it's very hard to find. Okay. That's the first experiment. I think we're all pretty much on the same level. That It's very difficult to get something out of nothing. And yet that's what most people that say they're scientists, a lot of them aren't really scientists. They, they, they believe that there is no God. And they want to try and prove that the world exists because or without God being there. Okay? But they believe that there was nothing. That nothing exploded and became everything. Okay? So, uh, Daniel, sh- I didn't warn you. Be careful because it might explode. So just be very, very careful. That. Right. Okay. Now, we're going to... The second thing. We're going to ask about impossible things. Okay? Is it, impos- is it possible for impossible things to happen? Now, we're going to look at some examples of this. Um, yesterday, I did a little bit of homework getting ready for this. And I asked Connie just to think of the biggest thing she could think of. And Connie said, an elephant. Okay, so we've got an elephant in the room. We're not going to talk about that. Then I asked Esther, and Esther said the universe. And that's kind of probably a a better thing. Now, I just want to show you this. This is fascinating. Okay, our sun is that little dot there. Now, our sun's pretty big. I think you'll agree. All right? But if you compare it to these other suns that are out in the, the universe, including this one, this VV Cephia, the, the, absolutely massive. Again, we just look at the size. That's the size of our sun compared to one of these other suns that's out there. And then that's the size of our sun here compared, just a little dot compared to the other. It's absolutely huge. I'll just show you that because I thought that was fascinating. Just a quick question, though. What do you notice with these suns? What are they all doing? Do they look hot or cold? They look cold? Really? That one maybe, the blue one maybe looks cold. But what you notice is they're all burning up. They're all hot. What happens if something's burning? What will happen eventually? Anybody? If something's burning, if you think of a candle, what happen? If the candle's burning, what will eventually happen? It'll disappear. It'll disappear. Yeah. Eventually it'll burn out. And one of the things that science has now realized is that the universe hasn't been around forever. It must have had a beginning. Otherwise all these would have burnt out if they'd have been here forever. What's the first verse of the Bible? So the Bible says there was a beginning. Science now knows that the Bible is absolutely right. There was a beginning. Okay, so science actually is starting to agree with the Bible. In fact, science always agrees with the Bible. But I'm not interested in, in the big things. It was the small things. Now, I also said to Connie yesterday, I said, what's the smallest thing you could think of? And Connie said, a baby. <laughs> a baby is quite a small thing. I'll let you agree with that. Um, yeah, okay. Um, anybody think of anything else that's small? Small or small? 
Look at that. Wow. An ant is pretty small. Anybody think of anything smaller than an ant? An eye? Oh, well, depends on the size of the ant and the size of your eye, I suppose. An electron. Fantastic. Electron is a very, very small thing. Okay, we'll just talk a little bit about these things. Because we are made up, everything that exists is made up of atoms. Uh, I need your help just to demonstrate to the adults, because some of them did science a long, long time ago, and they won't remember this stuff. So we can help them. Now, in an atom, we've got these bits of the whiz around the outside. I need two people that can do some whizzing. Who's that? Connie, I know you can whiz. Kevin, do you want to whiz? Yeah? Okay, can you just go and stand here? Can you come and stand here, both of you? I want two people to be protons. I have a meter and, yeah, I know. And so have, uh, yes, and Daniel, do you want to, okay, right. So if you four want to go and stand in the middle, okay, stand right there, stand really close to each other. Oh, hang on, hang on, no, you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. You can't, because, because like charges repel. Alright, so that means that the, the neutrons you've got to push apart, but you've got to stay close together and push apart at the same time. Uh, and, and, and the protons again, you've got to push apart and stay together. Can you do that? Can you push apart and stay really close? Do it. No, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not you're, you've got to be closer. And, and push apart. You've got to push apart. It's very difficult to do that, isn't it? While you're figuring that out, we're going to come back to that in a minute, I need you to to be the electrons and whiz right around the outside. Okay, can you go for it? Go around that way, Mike, don't trip. Go around that way. As quick as you can. Okay, so this is what happens in an atom. Okay, in, in an atom, it's fantastic. Now they do it lots and lots of times every second. And again, and again, one more time. All right. You, 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 you look, you've got to be pushing apart and, and so really close. Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. Okay, you can stay there. Right. Connie? Connie, okay, so just one second. How, how, how did you feel about that? Was that alright? Um, no. It's very negative. You can sit down. So, right, one of the problems we've got in the centre of an atom is that like charges repel, so you should all push apart, but you don't. And no one knows why, but the Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus holds all things together. And there is no other explanation as to why you're held together. Okay, so Amita, what were you? You were the uh, you were the proton, weren't you? Yeah. What? How did you feel about that experience? It was great. Yeah. See, positive. <laughs> Esther, how did you feel about being a, a, a neutron? Meh. Yeah. No charge. Okay. You can sit down. Thank you. Okay. So, if you sit down, we'll look at the screen. So, everything starts with an atom. Atoms join together and make something called molecules. Oh, no, no. Sorry. That's, that's wrong. It's not supposed to be Mickey Mouse. They join together and make molecules. Okay. And we, molecules we, we recognize that make up all the things we know. Okay. So if you get oxygen and hydrogen, two parts of hydrogen and one of oxygen, you get something called H2O, which is water. Okay. So water is made up of hydrogen and oxygen. And everything we know is made up of these molecules. But molecules. Okay. Let's look at this. Start with the atom. 
Right, then we go on to our molecules, and then molecules join together and make amino acids. Now, you might not have heard of amino acids. There's about 20 amino acids, and you've all got them inside you. They make up what you are and who you are, okay? And they're really important because amino acids join together and make something called protein. And protein is found in all sorts of things, things we eat. Anybody think of any food that contains protein? Um, banana. I'm sure banana does. Milk certainly does. Meat. Meat, yeah, okay. Eggs? Eggs, definitely, okay. So a lot of food we eat contains protein, and we break it down and we use it in our own bodies. And, and that's a good thing, because otherwise, if things didn't have the same stuff as we are, we wouldn't be able to eat anything other than ourselves. And that wouldn't be a good thing, would it? So, okay. So with the proteins, but proteins are really difficult to make, okay? Because these amino acids that join together... They are all left-handed. Did you know that? All left-handed. Like you can get them in either version, right or left-handed, but they're all left-handed. So this gives us a real problem. Okay? This is like randomly flipping a coin and having it always land on heads. Now, it just so happens I've got some coins. So do you want to come over and grab a coin, each of you? I want them back, please. So grab a coin and then form a line. Okay, what I want you to do is to flip your coin and then put it on your hand and then I'm going to go along and find out. Now, to make this work, we need a chain that's at least 100 long. Okay? Actually, they're longer than that, but we'll just start for 100 long. Okay, so we're going to start with this. So you all need to get exactly the same. All right? And that's, that's what you'd need to start to form a protein, which is a basic building block of things that are alive, living things. Okay? So James, what have we got? Have you got heads or tails? So that's a heads. What have you got? Heads. Whew. Okay, we're going well so far. Oh, mother. Tails. What did you get? What have you got? Heads. 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 What have you got? There's also heads. 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 Tails. <laughs> so we haven't got a very long chain, and we've got two that are the wrong way. Like, flip them up, okay? And just don't look at what it is, and just put it on your hand again. Don't look at what it is. Just put it on your hand. Okay, let's go along. James, what have you got? You got your heads. Have a look. That's also heads. Tails again. Heads. 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 Tails. Tails. <laughs> right, we're going to take a long time because we've got to get to 100 because otherwise we can't have life unless God did it. That's a lot more sensible, isn't it? Put the coins back if you can. You see, we can't, and I guarantee you this, you could, you could go on all day, and even if we had this group here, and they all managed to get tails, somewhere before you get to 100, you're going to have a head in there, or vice versa, okay? This is the problem we've got. Now, scientists don't give us any answers to these questions. They just teach our children in school that evolution is true. But they don't explain how they get around these problems. And this is one of many, many, many problems, scientific problems, that they don't answer. Okay. Can fairy stories come true? Now, <laughs> right, if a frog, frog kisses a princess and becomes a prince, that's a fairy story. But if it takes millions of years, it's evolution. Okay? Because this is what they tell us. They say that we started off as monkeys or things, less than monkeys, and gradually people became as we are today. And that's what you'll be taught in school. Right? I actually wrote to the government a couple of years ago and I asked them to give me one piece of evidence, something to prove this is true. And they didn't give me anything. 
They don't have any evidence at all. But they still teach it. Okay? So, I want to see how clever you are. Right? Right. See how we get on with this. What comes from an apple pip? Now think carefully before you answer. An apple tree? Yeah, an apple tree. From an orange pip? Orange tree. Yeah, an orange tree. What would come from a grain of wheat? Why'd you have to give me that one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that hard. Alright, I'm going to pick on one of the adults. Matt, what would come from a sunflower seed? This is a test of your IQ, right? Sunflower. Sunflower. Strawberry plant. Anybody? Strawberry. You see, all of these things, and I, I've done this with a number of people, I did this with my boss at work a little while ago, because he said, oh, you, you, you know, evolution's true and things like that. I said, no, no, we can prove evolution's not true. And I just took him through this, and everyone was around there, and nobody has given me ever any different answer to these questions. Nobody has said that something will produce anything other than it is. All right? Just give you a quick example. All right. Connie. While we're doing this, this is your jigsaw. Okay. That's a Peter Rabbit jigsaw. I want you to put that together so I've got a picture of Thomas the Tank Engine. Go. <laughs> Why can't you do it? Why can't you make it a picture of Thomas the Tank Engine? So you see, you see the problem? You can't make it anything other than it is. Why? Because the only information that's there is the information to make a picture of a rabbit. What about a real rabbit? Do you think a real rabbit could ever become something different? Why? Because all the information inside it... There we go. Out of the mouth of babes. What comes from a banana tree, anybody? Uh, Well, actually, Charles Darwin said this, all right? It's a true fact that all animals and all plants throughout all time and space should be related to each other. In other words, the monkeys and bananas were related. That's what Charles Darwin said. That is what you're taught in schools. It's a little bit like the king's new clothes. Nobody wants to say he's not wearing anything. And everybody has to go along with it because they don't want to look silly. Has ever, anybody ever been to a garden centre? Has your mum and your daddy ever taken you to a garden centre? Yeah? Have you ever got a packet of seeds? Okay, and I know some of you have done these experiments at school, because I remember Marla, she brought home some seeds once and we grew something from them. So, what have you grown? For, anybody grown anything? You grew strawberries. Okay. Did you sunflower, you say? Okay. Let me ask you this. These people go to a lot of effort printing a picture on the packets that they sell you of what they are pretty sure that's look like. That's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? That's taking a risk. How do they know that the seed is going to produce that? Well, it's the same reason as the puzzle. It can only produce the same picture as it is. Because the information in the seed is only the information to produce that flower. And that's why they are quite happy to put on the packets the picture, because they know it can't ever be anything other than that. And you'll never see a warning on the pack of a seed packet saying, seeds may produce a frog. Because that can't happen. All right, last thing we're going to look at. Last thing. Where does information come from? Now, 
Charles Darwin and the people that follow Charles Darwin think the information just happened. Do you think that jigsaw could have just happened? Could it just come about on itself with all those shapes and cuts and everything else? It couldn't, could it? We know that, and that's just a jigsaw. I was in a conversation once with a lady on the train, and I showed her a picture of a rubber bath duck, which I happen to have on my laptop. Um, don't ask me why, but... Um, and it's, I said to her, do you think that could have happened by chance? A rubber duck, maybe we just got some plastic and things. Do you think it could happen? She said, well, of course not. I said, so why do you think the real thing could? And she went... She started to think. That's a good thing when we get people to think. Okay, I want you, some of you are very, very good with numbers and with letters, alright? So, look at those letters. There's three letters, and I want there's at least two words you can tell me that come from those letters. Pun? Dog, you can spell dog, D-O-G, and you can also spell God from those letters, G-O-D, couldn't you? Okay, can you spell cat? From those letters. That, That was brilliant, by the way, that was fantastic. You did exactly what I asked, but could you spell cat from those letters? Because you can't change them, they are what they are. And it's the same with everything that's living. A plant can't make something other than it is because the information, the letters in the the code, the DNA that's in the plants and in every living thing is only the information, only the information to make what it is. Right, so a monkey can never become something other than a monkey because the information in the monkey is only to make a monkey. Okay? Right, let's see how good the adults are. How many words can you make from Christmas? Have a go. It's a bit like countdown, isn't it? Right. Anybody made more than two letters? Two words. Hands up. Anybody made more than two words? Yes, yes. Anybody made more than three words out of that? Well done, Paul. Anybody made more than four words out of that? Uh, listen to you. Right. There's actually 301 words you can make from the word Christmas. Okay? And there's just some of them. There's seven letter words, six letter words, five letter words, four. I didn't bother putting the rest on there. There's over 300 words. But could you make the word zebra? You're absolutely right. You see, it doesn't matter how complex it is. If the information is still missing, there's no Z or Z in the word Christmas. You couldn't get zebra. Okay, it's the same with everything. You can only get what the inf- from the information that's already there. So, what have we learned? Well, a lot of people in the world will tell you that they're clever because they believe in evolution. And all scientists believe in evolution. Well, that's not true. I know lots of scientists don't believe in evolution. And they don't believe in it because they know the king isn't wearing any clothes. And the problem is a lot of people don't want to say that because they don't want people to say, oh, you're silly, you're stupid. But actually, when you look at it, we in a little group here this morning have proven, but just four little examples, evolution can't happen. It's impossible. So don't worry at school if they tell you that evolution happened. You can say, first of all, were you there? Ask them that question. Ask them for some evidence. Ask them just one piece of evidence. There isn't any. Okay? It's like the king's clothes. It's like saying, well, show me a piece of the cloth. They can't because there's nothing there. So, it comes back again to these two books. Either Darwin was right or the Bible's right. And we've already seen from the things we've done that everything that Darwin said doesn't work. It doesn't happen. But everything the Bible said, we know to be true. You see, 
The Bible says that everything reproduces after its kind. Twelve times in the book of Genesis, the Bible says things reproduce after their own kind. In other words, what they already are is what they'll reproduce. That's science. That's what we see. That's what we observe. Darwin said things reproduce other than their kind. They'll produce something else. It's like that picture. You'll never get that picture to be Thomas the Tank Engine. doesn't matter how long you wait. Oh, by the way, Daniel, how are you getting on with nothing? Has anything happened to it? No. You see... If we gave it till next Sunday, Esther's now got it, okay, back around. If we gave it till next Sunday, do you think anything would have happened? If we gave it a hundred years, do you think that would help? If we gave it a million years, must be, must be proven now. No, it's nothing. I know people want it to happen, but it doesn't. This is the problem. If you suddenly say a long period of time, people think, well, probably. But nothing is nothing. It will still be nothing tomorrow. You see, either in the beginning there was nothing or in the beginning with God. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created. And that makes so much sense. The Bible also said that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, to pay for all the stuff you've ever done wrong or ever will do. Okay, and that's how much God loves us. And he's given us the Bible so that we can get to know him. That's why at Sunday school and on Sundays here we keep learning and learning more about the Bible. Because it tells us more about God.